So I made Ableton tutorials for the whole manual. I think it was like 2017 or something. I just decided I'm going to read the manual and like literally turn every chapter into a video. And um, Ableton like saw my series and they liked it and they offered me a job as a sound designer. So I was like, um, you got the right person? Like, are you sure? <laughs> so this was, this was a couple of years ago, but it was just like a freelance basis. Nothing was really happening, but I was sort of just on their radar. And then just before Live 10 came out, I did a bit of work for them. And then I was, you know, I was a bit more familiar with the team. And then with Live 11, I got pretty busy. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, editor-in-chief of TheUnce.com and Bill's manager. But now that shows are happening again, I just returned to my original form of being a glorified travel agent. Bill's guest this week is Micah Watson, a.k.a. Lil Miss Beats. She's fucking hysterical. In fact, as I'm recording this, she just released a video centered around making a song about her period. She's funny, she's an Ableton master, and her videos are super engaging. In addition to making sick beats, she's a multi-instrumentalist who's been involved in all sorts of highfalutin projects with symphonies and stuff, so we're really dragging her down into the mud by having her on the podcast. What a bad look for her. Thanks to everyone who's been rating the show and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcatcher they use. It helps people find the show. Please join the Patreon to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and full video of every podcast. We really appreciate everyone who supports the show that way. Wolg put out his potent sample pack, Glitch, on the Beleagle Sounds label previously this month. That's up on Splice now, along with a number of other sample packs from other artists in and around the Beleagle Beats orbit. If you haven't been to the Mr. Bill's Tunes website in a while, check out his new micro-tutorial feed for the Hardcore Abletoneers. The HCA feed has a ton of quick little tips and tricks that Bill dumps on there in a lo-fi fashion just to get them out there and uh, they seem to be getting a lot of engagement and a lot of excitement around them. So go check it out. Also, make sure that you join his Discord to stay in touch with him and figure out everything he's doing because it's a lot. And I'm going to have some show announcements for you coming up, which is very, very, very exciting. Okay, enjoy Bill's chat with Michael Watson. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 Sick. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. Apologies that it took so long to figure out a time to do it. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's great. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, South Africa and the West Coast of America are like on exact opposite schedules, basically. Yeah. And also, it doesn't help that I am like a super early sleeper because I get up ass early. So, yeah. <laughs> My tolerance for like, being awake after bedtime is it's kind of like I go drunk if I don't sleep. So yeah, this will be fun. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'm kind of the opposite. I like, um, my tolerance for getting up early is, you know, kind of like that. It's a, uh, instead of me being drunk when I get up early, it's more or less just like I'm on Xanax or something. I wake up and I'm oh, just no. like, what the fuck's going on? 
<laughs> oh no. You did well this morning. Yeah, still doing pretty good so far. I've eaten food. I'm, I'm drinking a coffee. It's it's not too bad. Nice. For 11 a.m. in Bill World. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um. Cool. So where where in South Africa are you from? Yes, yeah, so I'm from Cape Town, which is like right at the bottom. Um. Yeah. I, I, there's nothing more to say about Cape Town. It's got the mountains. It's got the beaches. It's it's like a really cool tourist destination. So obviously, given 2020 been a bit of a struggle for the people here because like our income is gone because <laughs> um, the tourists are gone but yeah no it's a, re- it's a really cool place nice do you speak afrikaans i can speak afrikaans we call it afrikaans <laughs> if, if i were to say it in an afrikaans accent mm-hmm. um which is now popularized by like district 13 and like south africans are the new bad guys i've noticed in hollywood like we're just happy to be on the map i'm just stoked that, like the movies are showing us African. I'm like, yes, what? We're the bad guy. Fine, whatever. But um, I'll take <laughs> it for now. Yeah. I feel like uh, the South African accent was popularized to me through Lethal Weapon Two, where uh, you know, the evil guy. He was like Martin Riggs. <laughs> oh. Um, who <clears throat> was that yeah. uh, guy? Martin Riggs, uh, South African Lethal Weapon Two. What a search term. Yeah, so the the storyline of Lethal Weapon 2 is uh, Mel Gibson and uh, what's his name, Danny Glover, respectively reprise their roles as LAPD officers Martin Riggs and Roger Murtaugh who protect an irritating federal witness whilst taking on a gang of South African drug dealers hiding behind diplomatic immunity. This is an old movie. I mean, I haven't heard of it before, but um, damn. Lethal Weapon 2, really? Oh, you got to watch it. 1989. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta watch that shit. Yeah, man. But yeah, the way the uh the drug dealer pronounces Martin Riggs, he's like Martin Ruggs. <laughs> no, that's probably about right. That's how some of them speak. Anyway, I mean, South Africa has so many different accents. So that's like one type of Afrikaans accent. Even between Cape Townians and say people in Durban or Johannesburg, which is a bit further north, um, we all have like our slight tinge. I don't know if it's like that in Australia. Are there like different types of Australian accents? I think there's like varying degrees of accent thickness, you know, like you'll go down to Melbourne and people will be speaking more like, um, I don't know, dare I say like educated or uh, that's like (laughs) a bad way to put it. They they speak just like more, um, normal, I guess. And then like the further you go sort of inland and North, the more you get people who fucking talk like this, you know, real thick fucking Australian <laughs> bogan accents and then the O's on the end of their words, they're like, no. Uh, like, uh, they're just like real nasal and like. Yeah, it makes me think of like British people and like Cockney and like, I don't know, who's that guy? Hugh Grant? I don't know. I don't actually know actors so well. Who's that guy in all the rom-coms? Uh, he, he's probably one of them. There's a few guys in all of them. Yeah, yeah, Hugh Grant. That's who I'm thinking of. Anyway. Oh, sorry. I, w- I wanted to say, I feel like the South African accent is like actually so- sort of somewhat similar to the Australian one. Quite often, like these days, because I've been living in America for so long. Yeah. I'll hear a South African person like on, on the radio or a podcast or, you know, just in a somewhere. And, um, <clears throat> and I'll be like, oh, is that person Australian? And it'll take me a while to like figure out that they're actually South African or whatever. Yeah. Well, people often think I'm Australian. Like, in YouTube comments, they're like, uh, is that an Australian accent? And I'm like, oh, no, no, it's not. Mm. Was, uh, 
I actually was thinking about this in bed last night. I was like going to sleep and I was thinking, cause I, I knew we were going to have this conversation. So I was like, <clears throat> uh, thinking, I don't know much about South, South Africa, but was it also taken over by the British? I think so. Like I'm the worst person to ask about this stuff. I think the Brits were involved, um, together with other Europeans. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, let's see. South African settlement. Um, the first European settlement in South Africa was established by the Dutch East India Company in yeah. Table Bay, Cape Town. Mm, um, so that's where the Afrikaans <clears throat> comes from, that language. It's like a mm. Dutch hybrid. can't believe I'm on a podcast right now reading about the history of South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> We're the South African who doesn't really know the history of <laughs> South Africa. So, yeah. yeah, so it looks like it was colonized by the British in 1815. And it was colonized by the Dutch in 1652. So it was the Dutch first. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Dutch came there first um, with like some ships and like created a route that they could go between, I guess, Deutschland. Wait, no, that's Germany. What is Dutch? Yeah. Dutch well, is not... so the, that's kind of interesting. So Dutch is like uh, Netherlands, like Amsterdam vibes. Right, Holland vibes. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where my family comes from. I'm South African. We've been here for many generations, but like originally it was some German guy or girl or guy and girl that came here. And so there's a bunch of like little German communities and they keep marrying other Germans in South Africa. So I'm German, like I'm South African, but I speak German. My parents speak German. We went to a German school here. So <laughs> I live in like this little German bubble in South Africa. But now, now of course I've married a, a South African British man and I barely speak German anymore because... Like my friends have all moved back to Germany. My family's like immigrated because people like to just flee South Africa for various reasons. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, yeah, losing. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, my like German South African. And it, of course, I don't look like an African. You know, I'm like a white person, but I'm not a German person either. So it's like, yeah, it's just a bit of a weird place to be. Like when people say African-American, I mean, I could be African-American, but obviously I don't look like an African-American. So anyways, these are the things I think about. Uh yeah. <laughs> Have you ever done uh, 23andMe? No. It's just like a DNA test or whatever. Oh, flip. You, like, you like spit in a little tube and then send it back to the plant and they they send you back a bunch of information about like who you are. Yeah. Okay. So I know you can do that in America. I don't believe you can do it in South Africa. You can test for certain genes here. So I could be like, can you test if I have this one gene? But they won't give me a printout of stuff I didn't ask to have tested. But I would find that really interesting. Have you done that? I have, yeah. I'm actually oh, just yeah? logging into my 23andMe right now. Oh. I, um, oh, wait, what? My logins are wrong? What the fuck? No way. Weird, I guess. My logins are fucked up in my password manager. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so I, um, uh, I'm actually ab part Aboriginal. And like when I was younger, my mom was always like, oh yeah, like we definitely have like tons of Aboriginal heritage, um, like or Aboriginal blood in our, uh, in our, you know, gene pool. And my grandmother was like fairly black, um, or like fairly dark skinned. And then <clears throat> her grandmother was like extremely dark skinned. So, uh, like the Aboriginal genes are there, but they're extremely recessive and, uh, they kept breeding with British people basically to the point where like now I'm almost just like complete British blood. But like wow. I did, um, I did a 23andMe <clears throat> and found out exactly how much of the Melanesian gene I have 
and it's like one percent or like less. So oh wow. <laughs> yeah, Damn. my my Aboriginal heritage is is been well not heritage. My Aboriginal genes have been bred out pretty hard. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Yeah. How's yeah? We should talk about other stuff. Um. How's <laughs> you should probably tell people who you are because I feel like people listening to this podcast are gonna be like, who the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm Little Miss Beats or Micah. Micah's my name. Um, go by Little Miss Beats. I make lo-fi hip hop, but um, I've been creating music online for like a decade. Uh, people usually know me from Ableton tutorials, which I haven't made in a while, but um, that's sort of where I started, I suppose, my online career. And now I mainly make lo-fi hip hop. And before that, I was a classical composer. So I did like classical, uh, classical commissions, wrote for orchestras and like pianos and I like to say it's like that modern sort of sounds a bit plink plonky, like weird classical music that people are like, it sounds horrible, but like apparently it's really like arty. I don't know, that stuff. And then I, I stopped <clears> doing all of that um, when I realized I was just trying to like, you know, sometimes people make music for fun. Sometimes they make it for money. Like th there's also this whole like approval aspect. Like I grew up doing classical music and studied classical music, ended up classical composer. And I realized I was just in this like rat race of trying to write intellectual music because that's what you do, because that's how I get approval. And then I was like, what the hell? I don't want to live my life like that. And then I ended up writing lo-fi hip hop, which is like the other extreme because, you know, it's like the same thing over and over. <laughs> Super non-intellectual, if I'm allowed to say that. So yeah, uh, it's certainly more fun. Like I'm loving life a lot more now. Nice. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people <clears throat> go through that kind of uh, trajectory with their career, right? It's like you go down one hole uh, and then you kind of figure out like, what do I actually want out of life? Like, how do I want my days to look? And mm. then you sort of like build your, your life around that. <clears throat> like for instance, for me, I was doing um, live electronic music performance a lot and touring was just a huge pain in the ass. And then I was like, what do I actually like want to do in music and why am I even doing shows in the first place? And I kind of realized that um, the show thing was really just a means to an end to be in the studio more. So I was like, well, in that case, I can just fly out on the weekends and do DJ sets and that <clears throat> will have plenty enough sustainability for me to be in the studio all the time. Hmm. So yeah, I ended up doing that. I was actually talking to a friend yesterday about uh, – classical music because he's um currently just playing piano for like four hours a day or something like that he's just super wow. into it and he was saying um six months ago when he looked at this stuff he was like you know pretty much there's people in the classical community who just uh all they all their job is to do <clears throat> is to basically be able to play these pieces back um and he was like it's kind of cool but you know, you don't really learn any improvisational skills or anything mm. like that. And basically, um, when you learn a piece, you're not really learning that skill from that piece. Like, for instance, there might be some crazy left-hand stuff going on and some crazy right-hand stuff going on on the piano. And you're not necessarily learning the skill of, like, what it is to do left-hand stuff with right-hand stuff. You're more or less just learning the specific muscle memory for that specific song. Exactly, yeah. <clears throat> And I don't know, to me, it sounded a lot like, um, like just speed running a, a Zelda game or something <laughs> like that. And he was like six months ago, I would have agreed with you on that. But he said now that he's gotten into it more, he kind of like sees 
um, like that there's just an infinite, there's enough depth there for him to just be like happy doing that. That's really cool. Yeah. So I'm, I studied piano performance and I did a lot of classical piano work. And so I can totally understand it can be like a speed running Zelda thing. Like people can just learn one piece really well. And like, even if you tell them to start halfway through the piece, they won't be able to. Like, mm -hmm. unless they start at the beginning, it's like, but you can also practice differently. Like one thing I always do is I'll start practicing from like a random part, like in the middle of a bar or something like that, just to make sure I'm really learning the nitty gritty of a piece. Otherwise one can just fall into that muscle memory trap. And another thing people can do is like, you can actually analyze, like if you're playing classical music, it could just be like, you might think people don't have musical understanding, like which chords are you playing? Cause you're not improvising, but you can still learn a classical piece by being like, Hey, this is like a G flat nine going to like, I don't know, like a D flat or whatever. Um, but that's kind of over and beyond like in piano lessons, teachers typically don't ask you to do that because, you know, at school, if you play an exam, they don't care. They just want you to play the perfect note and then you get your hundred uh, percent. It's not really about like the deeper education. So I'm sure learning as an adult is probably quite different to learning as a kid because one might approach it with like a deeper desire to understand the music as opposed to just like get the marks at school. Right. Yeah. I also think <clears throat> with this classical piano shit, there's like, um, <laughs> kind of like some uh how should i put it like it's almost more rewarding because of how um like there's certain goal posts along the way that you you can like see right and there's finish lines to them for instance there's like level one pieces that you can play there's level two pieces that you can play level three level four etc and you can like easily track your progress by being like all right i was playing level two pieces six months ago now I'm playing level six pieces, you know? Um, <clears throat> and I feel like there's something to that that people get sucked into as well. Cause they're like, oh man, like, look at all this progress I'm making. And, and it's like very trackable on paper, like how much progress you're making, yeah. whether, it's, whether it's like listening, uh, it, it doesn't even have to be like listening to yourself play the same piece months later to hear how much better you're playing it. You can literally just be like, <clears throat> I couldn't play this piece six months ago and now I can. And therefore that means because that is a level six piece that I'm now a level six player or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like there's something to that as well that people sort of uh, grow, like get uh, pulled towards because it's just, yeah. it's nice to feel like there's some sense of structure and control there. Whereas in something like electronic music, there's like no structure and control. It's like, how good of a producer are you? It's like, who the fuck knows? Like there's no yeah. way to measure it. So. <laughs> Yeah, people like to measure it by maybe how many plays they get, but like that's such a bad way to measure it because as we know, it's not necessarily good music that gets recognized or like we've, we've all heard bad hits or like very underrated songs. So, right. Yeah. But the interesting thing with the tracking progress, like, I mean, you can have two different people play like a grade six piano piece and you can hear that the one approaches it with a lot more depth and like experience, whereas the other person might just be able to play the notes. So even so, like, it would be cool to hear one play a piece that you think is easy. And then like a few years later, once you've progressed more, go back to the easy piece and like, see how you approach it differently. Or like, maybe you play it with more motion or something. Cause that's really where the art comes in. Like in terms of playing pre-composed pieces, it's like the interpretation. That's not just like learning the notes. But isn't like, isn't that also subjective? Cause you know, you might ask a punk person, um, 
which of these two classical pieces is played better and they might pick the one from the more amateur person because it's rougher you know and they might be like oh that uh, just has this kind of like rigid rough edge to it that i kind of like and this other guy was just you know too flamboyant and like you know is like doing this too with dramatic too yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah that's a good point i mean i suppose if if it's within like say a specific genre so like in a western classical context then people mm. might be more readily like willing to agree that the one interpretation is more acceptable but yeah i mean exactly like there's so much room for different musical tastes like a friend of mine just loves keyboards with no velocity <clears throat> control like oh my gosh i can't stand that like if I hear a piano where every note is the same velocity, I'm just like, oh, no, sorry, <laughs> I'm out. But he loves it. I mean, in, in the genre that he composes in, like he wouldn't dream of having different velocity chords. So yeah, different different tastes, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I guess also depending on like whereabouts you are in the genre, like how much experience you have in it will also depend on like what kind of things you find impressive about it. For instance, when I look at like Olympic level gymnastics, not that I look at that often, but whenever I do, <laughs> um, you know, someone will do like a flip and they'll land on their feet like perfectly and the judges will be like, hell yeah, that's a 10. <laughs> but then like I'll see someone just like flip and just crash and burn and I'll be like, that was the sickest thing <laughs> I've seen 10. all day. Yeah, like that That's going to get that. like retweeted, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's the most fun thing to watch. So in, in my opinion, that oh. should hold the most value, right? But Yeah, lol. You watch gymnastics every day, don't lie. Calms you down. It's true, yeah. If you just look at my <laughs> internet history, it's just like gymnastics, gymnastics. <clears throat> yeah, whenever I take a break from music, I'm not I'm not taking a break to play chess. I'm taking a break to Google gymnastics highlights from that day. <laughs> I wonder what's yeah. going on in the gymnastics world, actually. I'm kind of curious now. <laughs> yeah, actually, like any kind of sport, not that I, I, I don't really follow it anyways, but like... I have no idea what's going on in the world. Like, it must be so hard. Be, like, I mean, it's the same with musicians, but athletes being used to having the the audience, and the crowds, and now there's like dummies in the audience. Oh, it's cringe to watch. But I suppose you got to do what you got to do. Hmm, yeah. I, imagine if uh, people watching classical performances were like people watching like football and uh they were just like yelling from the stands like yeah play that note like yeah <laughs> yeah so like in classical music like I know, i'm know i sure you probably know this but just in case people listening to it so in the symphony or some larger works there'll be different movements so it's like say three pieces but those three pieces are one main big piece that's like 40 minutes long so typically you're not, you well these days you're not supposed to clap between the movements you wait till like the 40 minute symphony is over but there's always someone in the audience that's like, hey, the song's over and like starts clapping and everyone around them just looks at them as like, shut up. <laughs> They're and, like, yeah, don't, so, don't say his You're good ruining yet. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I feel like if you wanted to emulate audiences today in a classical hall, you'd have to have like a robot that like fake claps in between the movement just to like piss off <laughs> the musicians and then we can proceed because otherwise it's just not realistic. Right. There's always like one... One yeah. like, <laughs> Although ironically, early, like when this music was actually written, like people were encouraged to clap and participate, kind of like at an EDM show, like you don't stand there quietly listening to the music, like you participating in it. So it's yeah. just weird how it's changed over the years, whereas now it's like, 
shh, everyone be quiet. Like sit like a stick up your ass. Like no, okay, I shouldn't say that. That's mean. <laughs> I I come from that world. <laughs> I feel still a beautiful world. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um somebody else enjoying something next to me. Like some like if I'm looking at a piece of art, whether it be like a visual piece of art or music or anything, somebody else enjoying that with me doesn't take away from my experience of it and in fact only enhances my experience of it right um mm. <clears throat> and therefore yeah i mean i think like at those, those kind of shows people like enjoying the thing around me only makes me enjoy it more so i don't understand why they're like don't look don't enjoy it yet yeah but not until the end we can't enjoy it yet <laughs> um yeah. this is this is also like one of the have you heard of this nft thing that's going around no, I'll Google it. Don't worry. Um, it's going to be pretty complicated to understand quickly. If you oh, don't. okay. So it's uh, these things called non-fungible tokens. And basically... Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I do know what that is. Yeah, so they basically assign... Uh, they take like the, the digital piece of art and they put it through a hash and then they put that hash on the blockchain and they go like, all right, that's now on this blockchain and yeah. whoever owns that it now owns that piece of art, right? But the yeah. only way that this works is if they're the only person who can view it, right? Like, if, so let's say you put like a Little Miss Beats uh, track on uh, Nifty or random, whatever the fucking gateway is called, um, and you hash it and you put it on the blockchain and only one person in the world can enjoy it, but you get paid like 20 grand or something like that. In some way, like the song gets devalued because nobody else can enjoy it with them, right? And if you're the only person, like if you have a song that's so sick that you, that like gives you goosebumps and it's like the coolest thing ever, you never want to just like not show it to someone, right? Like the first instinctual thing to do is to show it to someone, like tweet it out or like send it to, yeah. to a friend and be like, check out this fucking tune. It's so sick. Um, so I don't really understand this NFT thing for that reason. Right. I did hear that like with NFTs, you can, like if I buy a song from you, I could then resell it to someone else and you would still get a proportion of that sale. So oh, I think like maybe a, like, mm. yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, a good, and, that's a good point. Yeah. Cause I was thinking about that too. Like if, um, you know, the people in the crypto world buy up all these NFTs, then the artists get paid for the first sale, but then they don't get paid for every no, sale. No, in so they, they do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I yeah. think that is a thing of NFT. Yeah. So I, I recently listened to a podcast. I really enjoy the Tim Ferriss show. Uh, are you familiar with Tim Ferriss? I know who he is, but I, I don't really listen to him. And the reason why is because I heard a review of his uh, four-hour workweek book and it was pretty oh. much just like make a spreadsheet and sell off white goods at a higher margin on Amazon and right. then sit around drinking tea or whatever. And well, I was like, Scott I've, I've... sounds like the ult ultimate sh oh. uh, shit poster. <laughs> no, I think maybe give him a chance if you want. I mean, I haven't read that book. Uh, I know that people talk about it sometimes like that. But his podcast is really cool. Like he interviews a lot of different people in different niches, including musicians, but basically just top performers in their field. And he recently interviewed someone, might get the name wrong, but I think it was something like Katie, Katie something. She's uh, like a federal, ex-federal agent or something like that. And she found some serious criminals using the blockchain. So they were using... They were talking about like fungible tokens or all of this stuff. And uh, it was just incredible how they've been like using this to track things because, you know, you can't really destroy the evidence. And yeah, it was like really interesting. 
and she Wait, was what, saying that she she's excited. Um, well, they were tracking payments at the stage because there was like a mole in the FBI. <laughs> yeah, if you if you want the full story, I mean, it's it's like proper. This could be a movie kind of thing, like crazy real life stories. But she was saying one thing that she's excited about is just the the fact that artists do get paid with these non fungible tokens. That if she were to buy something, she sells it again. The artists keep getting like a royalty or something like that. So that'll be really cool for like royalty. What are they called? Like music libraries. Um, right, like sync libraries. Yeah, like I write a lot of music for music libraries, but the in South Africa we've got a royalty collection agency called Samro, and um, I mean they they just they've been accused of corruption and proven to be like stealing royalties like every year. It's just. You, so they're just like s- sketchy as hell. It's so sketchy. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, some that musicians sucks, fight man. against it, but it's just like I'm like, you know what? I have one life. I'm not going to spend my life fighting against Samro. Um, look, luckily, I'm with BMI now for any anything international. So right now, Samro can only really steal my South African royalties, which, <laughs> you know, I'm not too butthurt about. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. Yeah, I'm I'm with APRA in Australia, and. Right. They're awesome. Like they they go out of their way to contact me if something's not right, so I can fix it and stuff like oh, that. Wow. Like they're, yeah, they're Damn. they're really really cool. That's so fantastic. I would, yeah, I would never switch from them. To be honest, I'm stoked awesome. to be with yeah. them. Um, and they also just like they're so easy to getting. Like I have a personal, per like I have a person there that I can like call and just be like, hey, what's up? Like I need help with this thing or whatever, which is crazy for like you can't. It's really hard to get in contact with somebody at BMI and do that, I think, or SoCan or ASCAP or anything like that. Um, yeah. But that's crazy. I never even thought, like, I mean, it, it's occurred to me that, yeah, this uh, agency or this PRO, if they wanted, could, I guess, steal my royalties. But, like, they just, uh, yeah, they never have. And they've always seemed like the most legitimate company to me. And I've never, like, even thought that they would try to do something like that. So it's crazy to me that, like, there are PROs out there that actually do this and just steal artist royalties because it's such a oh, small goodness, amount of yeah. money anyway, right? Like the amount of money yeah. you get in a royalty check each month is like, I mean, after I did the mum and dad movie, it was a little higher, but like generally under normal circumstances, it's like a couple of hundred bucks at max, right? It's like fuck all. And yeah, <laughs> yeah to be stealing that from artists is pretty, pretty sad. Yeah, especially since like, or at least here, like artists don't, there's not a lot of opportunities here. Like, uh, this is like, anyway, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's not right. I'm very flippant about it just because you kind of have to choose your battles and, you know, we could spend our lives being upset about things. If it's something that you can genuinely change, like, cool, go for it. You know, like the whole thing of like having the wisdom to change what, wait, what is it? Uh, like, uh, I don't know. There's some like famous prayer, something about like accepting the things you can't control and like having the wisdom to know the difference between the things you can and can't change. I'm butchering it terribly, but that's a really good life philosophy. Like if you, if you can't change it, like don't really get upset about it. If you're not going to do anything about it. Like, yeah, that's kind of true. But I feel like also from that style of thinking, it can be easy to get complacent as well. Yeah, right? that's true. Because sometimes yeah. like somebody standing up against one of these agencies or whatever can actually make a difference. That's true. There is actually an artist here in South Africa. His name's The Kifness, and he has been like fighting Samro for ages. And he's been getting like, you know, radio interviews and getting other artists on board. Like, we just need a pioneer, like a leader that's willing to like 
you know, fight and then we all like want to join him, but I just wasn't that person. So sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. We, you're welcome to interrupt. Um, yeah, no, I agree. But I mean, I think even with something like that, um, like it seems like the corruption with this PRO probably goes back quite a while. Um, and I, I feel like at least just starting the conversation somewhere to be like, Hey, fuck you. Don't do that. Like has to, <laughs> that conversation has to start happening. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's definitely worth, I think artists like this guy you're talking about standing up and starting that conversation at least. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so what are you working on these days? I know you have like your YouTube channel and, uh, you make lo-fi hip-hop and stuff or what's like your day-to-day sort of projects looking like at the moment yeah like lately i've been pretty chilled i took a pretty long holiday through december january because last year was quite busy so i did a lot of work on ableton live 11 did some preset design some like instrument design and there's a pack called voice box which you can get with ableton live 11 so i did a lot of like recording editing preset design as well as singing for that so that took up a lot of last year. So December, Jan, I basically just took off. And currently I'm working on a new album. Um, and I've actually got an illustrator this year, which is so cool. I always make my own album art. And it's been so amazing working with a visual artist. It's just like fun to have someone else on the team because it's just me and it kind of gets lonely. Like I know you're, like your art's so cool. You've got a guy that does all your illustrations, right? Yeah, funny. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. I've been working with him for like over a decade at this point. Wow, amazing. And it's sick. Yeah, I'm so stoked. I never want to work with another artist, basically. he's Yeah, I, it was, I was just so lucky that he... So basically, he just hit me up one day, like, really early on. And he was just like, hey, man, I make art. And, like, I just want, would love to do some art for you, like, just for free. He just wanted to do art for, for an album of mine or something. And I was like, dude, definitely, your art's fucking crazy good. Um, and then ever since then, uh, yeah, just, like, has sort of shaped the way the project has looked and... Wow. Yeah, um, and I just love working with him. He's a really nice guy, and yeah, amazing. Now, what have you been been doing this year? Like any projects? Obviously, with COVID, it's kind of hard to plan ahead, like touring. Not that yeah. you love touring. You mentioned that earlier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just working on an album. Um, and uh, what else am I doing? I'm working on like, dude, my cat is just licking my desk for some reason. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm working on an album, uh, working on like a video for some plugin that's coming out, like doing the sound design for the for the video. Oh, cool. Um, uh, what else am I doing? Making just sound design, stuff like that. Um, but just, just for personal reasons, just to have more sounds in my catalog. And yeah. actually, I've been watching a lot of tutorials again lately because I feel like I sort of have hit a wall with my like skill set. And every yeah. now and then I'm like, all right, I should, uh, you know, I should watch some more tutorials and, you know, do some, learn some new techniques basically. So my stuff doesn't start to sound all so homogenous. And one way that I'm doing that is I'm watching a lot of tutorials on Cohen Sounds Patreon, which has been really awesome. And also this other guy, Ellie Derp, he, he has a Patreon too with some really nice tutorials on it. And between those two, I've been finding um, yeah, a lot of value and a lot of interesting techniques. That's awesome. Like, I'm sure a lot of people listening probably really admire your skill. And it's really cool to have someone of your caliber actually say, you know what, like, I watch tutorials, like, I want to learn more stuff, you know? 
Oh, for um, sure. I mean, like, yeah, even if I, like, read the Ableton manual back to front and, like, you know, write music with, like, a 100 different people, it's, like, Cohen Sound have also done the same thing, right? So, like, they have information. They, they've come to a different conclusion than I have. So uh, it's yeah. always interesting to go and see, like, where these other artists got to and what techniques they developed along the way. Yeah. And then just, you know, take from their bucket and <laughs> then obviously make it my own. Yeah, that's awesome. So you mentioned you've been doing a lot of sound design stuff. Like, I'm curious to hear about your like file management sample saving situation. Like, I have a feeling we're probably very super different, like, because I'm quite a minimalist. I like to have as little stuff as possible on my hard drive. Like, if I'm not using samples, I delete them. Obviously, our styles of music are very different. So like, I'll compose stuff at the piano. I don't need a library of awesome sounds to make like epic glitch with. Like, what does it look like for you? That's crazy. Yeah, I've, I'd never have deleted samples. I like, well, <laughs> I'll put them on a hard drive or something if I don't want them taking up space on my computer, and I'll just store them like on an external. But I'll never like delete them because I feel like I just want to. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I feel like, you know, what if I open a project from a long time ago, and it's missing samples? Yeah. And I'm like, fuck! I need that sample um, to like get the project back to its initial state so I can keep working on it. Well, I don't want to ever be in a position where I'm like, well, shit, I deleted that sample. No, I just don't have it, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, reason. like, I suppose if you, it might be too late to do this with your past stuff because there's too many tracks to do this with. But like when I finish a song, I always do the whole collect all and save thing in Ableton and then I archive it. So then I know all the samples are with that project. But like, have you ever gone back to your old hard drives to look for like an, another sound uh yeah i do it all oh, the okay. time actually yeah oh it's, awesome yeah super common actually for me to to have to go back through old computers and old hard drives to get a project file back to its working state because yeah wow. unlike you i'm not that organized and i don't hit collect all and save when i'm finished with a project all the time because <laughs> quite often when i finish with a project I'm just in this like state of like, fuck it. I can't be bothered listening to this project anymore. I hate this song at this point. And like, it, I, I just have to call this one done. And then I'm just like, fucking just render it and like send it off to the label or send it off to my manager or whoever I need to give it to. And then I just like shut the project and just like drag it off to a hard drive and be like, all right, fuck that song. And like, <laughs> I, like I don't, Damn. I don't have this whole like ending process with the song that's all like all right time to like go through all the this cleaning steps of like collecting and saving and all that I, um so yes yeah, a lot of it is for that reason another reason is because i do a lot of collabs so quite often if i'm passing a project file back and forth a lot samples will just get lost in translation you know right. like being passed back and forth they just somehow get lost so that happens um but yeah, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I understand uh, the minimalist thing too, though. Like, I recently this year and a bit of last year have just been getting rid of shit. Like, I sold tons of my modular gear off. I like sold heaps of shit. Like, my studio now is so minimal. It's literally just a table and speakers, and I love awesome. it. It's so yeah, cool. amazing. It's yeah, quite a it's bold move to do that. Cause it's so like counterintuitive people want like all this toys and all the sense you know yeah but it, it like i feel like has this um like mentally draining property yes. to it oh because, my gosh absolutely 
Yeah, because you're like, oh man, I, f- I feel like I like have to be using all of this gear now, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just all sitting around you and you feel like guilty for not using it. Yes. And then if you do start to use it, you don't really get any music written because you're just like trying to learn this new thing now. And I don't know, there's this whole like, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty like, I don't know, this whole thing with, with gear. So I kind of got rid of most of my gear. Um, but I don't feel that way with stuff on my computer. I feel like I can ignore stuff on my computer. Like if I have shitloads of plugins, I feel like it's easy to ignore them and not feel guilty for not using them because I don't have to look at them. Right. Whereas like a piece of right. gear, it's like right there. I have to see it all the time. Um, yeah. so as long as I can clean my computer up in such a way where like the plugins are sort of in their own folder over there and like there's nothing on my desktop and like you know dropbox is like over there and it's shut and like you know just so like everything kind of is like in its place and everything looks kind of clean then i can yeah. just work pretty freely without thinking about all that kind of shit. awesome that's so interesting <laughs> like my experience has been exactly the same getting rid of a lot of gear just because yeah it makes me feel guilty if i'm not using it but it's wasting my time if i am trying to use it because i don't really know how to use it well because i don't use it that often so yeah, I also sold a lot of stuff. Um, and even now I'm still finding I'm downgrading a lot. Like maybe it's a bit of an addiction because it like feels really good to just have space and like less clutter. And I'm not a naturally organized person. Like it might sound like it with my deleting stuff. It just makes organizing easier when I don't have a bunch of crap. So yeah. yeah. It also makes cleaning your house easier, right? Like if you just have less yeah. shit and less space, like. <laughs> I can just, yeah, I don't know. Everything seems just nice. Less stuff to worry about, I guess. Absolutely. Like it takes up less mental hard drive space. Yeah. I wanted to ask about something you said earlier. You said um, you took a holiday recently. What does a holiday look like for you as a musician? Wow. Because um, yeah. like for me, I mean, like obviously there's the COVID thing that you have to like think about with a holiday right now. But then on top of that, um. I feel like I, I can't really take a holiday because as soon as I leave and like go to start doing something, I get like three days or four days into holiday mode or whatever. And then I'm like, I need to write a beat. Like <laughs> I need to. Oh, right. Like withdrawal I, symptoms. Yeah. I just start to really feel like I should be working on something. I start to feel like I'm just wasting time or whatever. Yeah. That's a really good question. So this is like the first proper holiday I've taken in about seven years. Cause also I typically work weekends, like in the week, do various freelance things and there's always some video to edit or some song to finish um so this year well last year december i took off i took off four weeks in total but there was like a week gap and uh, i basically went to an airbnb with my husband so very close by so it was kind of like local travel but like it was in an empty house and the house was in a forest and i don't think i brought my laptop so basically I was just surrounded by trees and I like sat and did very little, <laughs> which I found was the most effective way to properly switch off. And then I ended up getting extremely tired. Um, so I slept a lot, which also I'm like, you know, I wake up early. I'm usually pretty energized during the day. So I think just actually giving myself the space and like <laughs> zero option to work on music or even think about it, like gave my body the opportunity to be like, all right, let's actually just rest. And it was really good. Like it was super uncomfortable at the beginning. Maybe that's what you're describing where you just like have to write a song. Um, but yeah, just like push through it the first week. And I feel quite anxious actually and being like, oh, this is off. And then um, by week three, I was like super into it. But then I went back just for a week with my laptop, 
catching up on emails, just like not damage control, I'm not that busy. <laughs> but yeah, just checking up on things. Um, and then I went away again for a week. Um, actually, I didn't go away, but like just <clears throat> didn't do any laptop stuff. And I keep busy. So like I've been doing a lot of <laughs> macrame, which is like rope art. You're basically tying knots on rope and making pretty things. And also rebuilding all my childhood Lego sets. So nice. Yeah, that's what <laughs> that's what I've been doing, literally. So I, I find it helps having some creative thing to do that's not music when I really need to create because at least it's a different part of my, my brain like I'm not thinking how can uh, like yeah I'm just not thinking about any metrics or anything like that because like it's just rope it's just like lego with bite marks in it like <laughs> yeah yeah no I feel the same way I feel like there's just this part of my brain that always needs to be sort of like solving something um mm. or just like creating something it has to be one of the two so for instance, if I'm not like making music, I'll always be um, playing chess on my phone or doing a chess puzzle on my phone. Or um, like before we jumped on this call, I was eating breakfast. And as I was eating breakfast, I was on this website called freecodecamp.org trying to solve this JavaScript problem. And like, Jeez, <laughs> um, <Jeez>, chill. <laughs> yeah, so it's like constantly I'm just, uh, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I need like something to occupy my brain all the time. The only thing I have that's not like that, and I think this is why I love it so much, is mountain biking. And oh, cool. the reason why is because it forces you to get into this like flow state of just thinking about what's in front of you at the time. Mm. And the cost of not thinking about what's in front of you at the time and dealing with that is like pretty bad, right? Because if you don't deal with what's in front of you while you're mountain biking and you have an accident it's usually not nice and you usually hurt yourself pretty badly <laughs> usually not nice <laughs> quote yeah. by bill day yeah 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 um so i think yeah that's that's one thing that's 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 good for me in that way hey i wanted to talk a little bit about um preset design for live 11 too that's that's cool that you sure. do that um how did you get into that and like what kind of presets did you design for live 11 and um yeah, I'm just interested in this whole side of things. Yeah, sure. So I got in, well, call it, I'll, I'll call it luck. Like, so I made Ableton tutorials for the whole manual. I think it was like 2017 or something. I just decided I'm going to read the manual and like literally turn every chapter into video. And um, Ableton like saw my series and they liked it and they offered me a job as a sound designer. So I was like, um, you got the right person? Like, are you sure? <laughs> So this was, this was a couple of years ago, but it was just like a freelance basis. Nothing was really happening, but I was sort of just on their radar. And then just before Live 10 came out, I did a bit of work for them. And then I was, you know, I was a bit more familiar with the team. And then with Live 11, I got pretty busy. Um, so that's how I got into it. So I just got really lucky. Um, and yeah. And then in terms of like the presets that I made, so... How it works is they'll be like, okay, we need these kind of presets or this kind of sound. And because they might like a certain way I make certain sounds, they'll be like, we were thinking of you to make some presets. So it's not like I did presets for every device. It's just kind of like, like, I I don't even know why they contacted me about the voice box, but like every now and again, I sing. I had a vo vocal sample pack back in the day. Like, and that was one of my more popular free sample packs that I made. So I I wonder if that had to do with it. But I was like, yeah, I can record, I can edit, I can... And I already done preset design, so that's how I got really involved in Voicebox. And then every now and again, it's also just like, we need a bunch of presets for this new device. Like, are you free in the next two weeks? Can you make some presets? If I'm free, I can do it. And if not, then they'll ask someone else. 
And there's usually a bunch of us. Like, it's not just me. What is Voicebox? Is that a Max for Live thing? Or? Oh, my goodness. Do you have Live 11? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so it's a pack. So you can download it on the Ableton website. And it's free. Uh, I, I don't know if it's free for everyone or just Live 11. Okay. But like, um, it's a free pack. Okay, Voicebox. You, oh, my goodness. <gasps> you could do right this. Now. You could do the sickest stuff with it. So basically, it's a very... It's like experimental bunch of voice instruments, multi-sampled. So I don't know how many singers they are. I want to say between six and ten. Um, we've got devices or instruments on there that create like chords and harmonies. Um, you know, using encoders, you can change whether it's minor or major. Like it, it's crazy sound effects. There's crazy devices that we made. Like it's just really great experimental vocal stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I reckon if right you, now. yeah, if you render that stuff out and stretch it and do all the stuff that you do with it, like you could get some really interesting sounds. Nice. Yeah, I'm about to check it out. Pretty interesting. You should use the ones with the name Micah because I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, ju I'm just plugging myself now. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely. Yeah, and that, that's out. a cool thing. Yeah, it actually has like the name of the singers, which I thought was a really sweet touch. Like they really didn't have to do that. So it'll be like, uh, I don't know, multi timbral, blah, blah, blah. And then it'll be like two names, and those will be the two singers that are on that particular instrument. And for that kind of work, do they pay you like per preset or do they just give you like a flat rate and be like, here, make some stuff? No, uh, per preset for preset design. And then, you know, for some things it'll be per hour. Like I did a bunch of like audio editing for them. Sometimes I'll create clips, like, you know, the Ableton clips. I mean, they're super short, but that's kind of like original compositions. They buy out your rights um, because obviously now I can't like go around selling the same thing. Um, so yeah, it's usually per product. Yeah. yeah, I'm checking this out now. These are these are cool. I'm seeing the chromatic voice mica. Um, yeah. <laughs> wood voices, Infinity Caves, Nicholas and Mica. Who's Nicholas? I've never met him, but he's some guy. <laughs> Hi, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too sure. I've I've never met the other singers. Damn, these are sick. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to use this. It's crazy how many like packs and just like available shit there is in Ableton that I just don't know about because there's just so much. Like you yeah. almost don't need to buy plugins or sample packs yeah. at this point if you just buy Ableton, right? Because there's just so many like random Max for Live things that have exist now, and there's just so many random like packs and shit like stuff like this and you know this what's this fucking mood real thing it's like four gigabytes like this crazy them yeah 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 i am downloaded that as well i haven't tried it yet but i'm i also get into the habit of not trying out all these free things that they have and they're really good quality actually some of the packs with live 11 are with spitfire audio i think there's a piano as well as some brass um which is useful if, if you do like classical mock-ups or even just or anything i mean brass is cool Piano is cool. Yeah, the thing that's kind of uh, confusing, I think, is um, they call like packs can mean anything, right? Like, for instance, this, uh, what is it? Inspired by Nature by Dylan Bastion. It's like a couple of Max for Live devices, right? Rather than uh, than like a bunch of samples. Like when, when you say pack, I think like sample pack, right? Mm, um, yeah. But with these things, like in like when it's a pack of you know a couple of 
um, Max for Live devices like the Inspired by Nature things by Dylan Bastion or the creativity, like, uh, sorry, the um, the probability pack with like the Dr. Chaos and uh, that kind of stuff. I, I feel like that's where I start to get confused about what the hell all these packs are right yeah it's just it's just a collection of tools that you can use in ableton that's right. not really specific about which tools maybe they should call it that maybe they should just call it like extra tools or something or just extra yeah i feel like they should rename it packs is confusing and that's probably why i don't use it as much i feel like if they called it something else i'd probably use it more if they called it just like a toolbox or something yeah a toolbox yeah that's a great name actually i'll be sure to forward on the feedback Nice. Yeah, the only yeah. person I'm in contact well, I'm in contact with a few people. I'm in contact with Seraphin Sanchez, who's like the Colorado guy. Um, or I guess he's like the product manager from just everything in the middle of America, from like Texas up to Montana. It's that whole middle right. bit. And then I also know Coleman Goaty, who I think is like the West Coast guy. Okay, cool. Yeah, most of the people I know on Berlin. Um yeah the big dogs. and then one one american guy yeah it was cool i got to visit there luckily before covid about oh, two years awesome. ago they, yeah they invited and, um, you there or? um no i just went <laughs> nice. so what was happening i don't think there was anything happening there but my sister had moved to cologne and i was like hey i'm going to germany to visit my sister and cologne's not too far from berlin so i was like I'll be in the area. Like, can I come visit and meet some people and stuff? And they're like, yeah, cool. Actually, I think the head of develop, like software development, I don't know if he still works there, but he is originally from South Africa. So what's his name? I was also, um, look, Neil, I think his name's Neil Birdie. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the only person I know who works in the development team there, his name is Tillman Richter. And he's a, uh, he's a pretty cool guy. He's definitely got some interesting ways of looking at stuff. I should ask him to come on the podcast, actually. Yeah. Huh. That's awesome. Yeah, I've not been to the Berlin office or any Ableton office, actually. Are you, are you a certified trainer? I'm not. Yeah, me either. But people keep thinking I am. I was on, <laughs> I was on a podcast with Houston Singletree, who is like an Ableton and stuff. He's kind of my boss. And like in the podcast, he's like, Ableton certified trainer. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not one. <laughs> um, and I think he said it again. And at that stage, I'm just like so awkward. I'm like, oh, maybe I should just, I don't know. Do I keep correcting him? <sighs> uh, but I mean, I suppose like you've got so many great Ableton tutorials. It's easy to just assume because like, you know what you're talking about, right? But you don't need a certificate. I don't know. I, I, I don't have a good relationship with certificates because like, with music, I believe you're as good as you sound. Well, that's what my dad always told me. You're only as good as you sound. Um, like I have a master's in music, but I don't value it. Like it was cool learning stuff, but like the master's doesn't get me anything. Like at the end of the day, it's how professional you are. Like, are you able to meet deadlines? Are you able to do a good job? Uh, in terms of music, are you able to build an audience? You know, like it has nothing to do with a degree or a certificate. I don't yeah, know. What totally. do you think? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, um, yeah, at the end of the day, there's people who own uh, PhDs in music who probably suck at writing music or at least make music that I don't give a shit about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's your master's in? So it's in music theory. Oh, um, cool. Might get a little boring, but I'll give you like a little lowdown. So I actually initially studied maths. So I have a maths degree, then I studied music and I kind of mixed 
and I also was into like software stuff. So I kind of wrote some code that like analyzed a ton of old medieval music and like plotted out how intervals changed over time. So like early music, people would only really sing like, you know, in unison or firsts and seconds, but like the patterns of melody were super confined. Like there was some, and I'm not, I'm not talking just about one interval. I'm talking about like five successive notes. Like there's some things that just weren't done. And so I studied a bunch of these things and essentially wrote about the evolution of the melody. That's like a really fancy way to say it. Um, but yeah, it was just basically a bunch of data and analysis, a bunch of looking at really old manuscripts. Back then they didn't write music like we do now. Uh, it's like a completely different writing system. So yeah, so I had to like learn Latin, had to learn how to read this music. Damn. And yeah, and it was actually pretty successful. And um, like the university was happy for me to turn into a PhD because a lot of it was really like unique. Um, and like I've had new findings and stuff. But to be honest, like, I just didn't enjoy it. Like after two and a half years, I was like, yo, I'm done. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to write this thing up, like get my master's and stop with academia. Cause like, I could just feel the life draining for me. Like it just wasn't fulfilling, mm. even though it was cool. Like, even though it could make a difference in the field, I was just thinking like, if I were to talk at like a symposium, because like people were like, okay, there's this big like music theory conference. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't actually stand there and talk about this stuff because like, I don't care about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the same. I don't necessarily want to spend my life in academia, although I really like learning. But I think you can kind of just yeah. do that on the internet these days. Like YouTube makes it pretty easy to learn most of yeah. what, what you want to learn on that. What, what kind of um, maths degree did you do? Was it pure maths or applied? Yeah. Pure? Pure. Oh, damn. That's yeah. crazy. And yeah. you did a master's in that also? No, no, no. So I did a master's like a MMUS, so basically a, a master's in music. Uh, so I just got an undergrad in maths, like a BSc maths. That's crazy. Um, Even still, yeah, a bachelor's in pure maths is nuts. Yeah, it's pretty abstract. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I've always been really bad at both music theory and maths. I don't I don't really know oh, wow. about either. Like I don't. Um, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but like I don't know like like anything about calculus like anything about algebra like i mean i guess algebra is just like simple adding and shit isn't i don't know who the fuck knows yeah <clears throat> yeah i didn't i well, didn't uh i didn't do anything past year nine mathematics so i didn't even like do year 12 maths and then i didn't yeah. do like any music theory at all yeah well i mean i don't think well obviously one doesn't need music theory to make cool music like you just said you don't know music theory and you, you got really cool music. But I, I wrote a blog article about like, do I think people need music theory? And like coming from someone who spent many, many years like studying music theory in detail, I was like, no, like you really don't. Like in some kinds of music, sure. Like crazy intellectual, like classical music where you're trying to like create new music theory or like bend all the past rules. Yes, it's useful to know the evolution of Western classical music so that you can like change it. But like, that's such a small niche and that's not my audience at all. So yeah, like for the kind of music we make, we, we really don't need it. Right. When you write music, do you ever think like whilst you're writing it, okay, I'm going to do like X, Y, Z, uh, um, like I'm, I'm going to do this very specific like music theory rule thing. And then I'm going to like 
you know, do this other music theory rule thing and then that, <laughs> that will go into this other music theory rule thing? Or do you just go like, I'm going to do this because it sounds good and I'm going to do this because it sounds good and I'm going to do this because it sounds good? Like, I usually just, like, I want to sound cool and be like, yeah, it's like all like me doing cool music theory stuff. But no, like, I pretty much just do what I think sounds good. But what I will say has been very helpful is like with oral training, so training to know like which chords are what, as well as being able to name those chords, which is like music theory, it's been very useful to be able to hear something and then have language for it. So if something's on the radio and then I'm like, oh, cool, that was a this, 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 this. So then I can remember it maybe and write about it later. So that's like the one thing where it's really helpful to know music theory, as well as like having a good trained ear for that thing. The other thing I think would be like problem solving. So for instance, if I have a chord that I really like, and later on in the song, I want to get to a different chord, and I just cannot find a cool chord in between the two, then sometimes I'll write with pen and paper and look at the different notes and then use some sort of music theory to figure out a good guess. But at the end of the day, like if it doesn't sound cool, like I'm not interested. Yeah, the latter is kind of one thing that I've wished I'd had music theory in my back pocket for a few times in the past um, <clears throat> where I'll, I'll be like trying to get from one part of a song to another part and it like requires a key, mm. a key change of some sort. And I'll yeah. always be like, fuck, like I know that there's like a set of bridging chords here that would work. Um, yeah. That wouldn't sound too unnatural to go from one to the other. Uh, but I can like never figure it out. So I end up just doing like a riser or something or like some weird sound uh -huh. design thing to sort of like blend my way into the other thing. I often think you have some really cool like jazzy chords, like really cool progressions. Yeah, they're all just like guessed. Like, I, I kind of... It sounds rad. I just do the thing that... So I just... I, the way I write chord progressions is I write melodies over the, one another, you know? So I'll like, I'll write a melody like dun, 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 and then I'll go like dun, 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 and then dun, 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 and like I'll just mm. kind of write like melodies over the top of one another and then all of a sudden you'll just like I won't look at it as like chord 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 I'll instead look at it as like melody 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 yeah. <laughs> like hey, they kind of make chords that way that's so interesting so um Bach or Bach I don't know how people in America say J batch. well like Ba batch, oh gosh, okay. It's actually Bach, but whatever. <laughs> batch. So that's basically how he wrote music. So that's kind of called counterpoint, mm. writing different melodies that are like, yeah, in conversation with each other. So it's really cool that you sort of intuitively do that. And that's what people used to do all the time before they had like the harpsichord with the chords, you know, because before it was just voices that were all just singing melodies at the same time. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it makes the most sense, right? Because like all a chord is is like multiple notes, and then all a melody is is multiple notes in succession of one another, and all a chord progression is is multiple notes happening at the same time in succession from one another. So it's really just I don't know, it's just three or four melodies happening at the same time. At this, yeah, um, yeah. Well, anyway, hey, it's been awesome having this chat with you it's been really cool to finally get you on the podcast i'm again apologies that it took months to make it happen no worries i really appreciate being here and meeting you it's been really cool yeah totally um is there any any way you wanted to send people uh to check out your stuff oh uh, yeah like if you like lo-fi hip-hop feel free to listen to my music little miss beats but um no otherwise just like take care you know it's, it's really cool like having musicians share their tips and 
talk about different experiences coming from different worlds. And I appreciate you being so open, you know, like the variety of people you chat to is really, really cool. And uh, you're just kind of open to meet new people and build relationships. And that's awesome. So thanks. Totally. Well, yeah, thanks again. Cool. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.